the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. The frontiers of science can only be driven by data, while the continual emergence of new technology expands what data can be collected and therefore analyzed. When it comes to understanding the human condition, both anticipating how disease develops and diagnosing and treating medical conditions, what is essential is collecting data from a broad spectrum of humanity over time and continuing to tend that mission as technology and science develops. Also key is inviting analysis, not for just a few, but for the great global body of scientists pushing out the frontiers of science for the betterment of all. That, in just a few words, is the concept and mission of the UK Biobank. Today, I speak with Sir Rory Collins. Dr. Collins is the UK Biobank's principal investigator and a professor of medicine and epidemiology at the University of Oxford. Well, Dr. Collins, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Maura. We'll just start with some first principles here. Many people don't know about the UK Biobank. In fact, many people don't know exactly what a biobank is. What is a biobank and what's the UK Biobank? Well, UK Biobank is an act of altruism by half a million people across Britain uh, and an act of vision, really, by the UK funders of research. Back at the beginning of the century, the Medical Research Council, our equivalent of the National Institute of Health, and the Wellcome Trust charity decided that they wanted to set up a very large, what we call a prospective cohort. That is, they were going to ask uh, half a million people from around the UK to answer lots of questions about their lifestyle and the way in which they live, the environments in which they lived, to have measurements done on them, things like height and weight and blood pressure and their lung function, and biological samples collected, so samples of blood uh, and urine, and to agree to allow them to be followed through their health records in our national uh, health service. So everybody in Britain uh, has free point of care through the National Health Service, and all of the data about their health is recorded in those systems. And these half million uh, men and women aged 40 to 69 at baseline agreed to us following their health through those systems so that we could look to see what is it in their questions, what is it in those physical measurements, and what is it in their biological samples that lead to one person developing a particular disease and another person not. Well, Sir Rory, your English is excellent, as one would expect. I'm not sure everyone knows what the word altruism means. Altruism is a generosity of spirit. Um, so these half million people have agreed to answer lots of questions, um, allow us to make lots of measurements and collect their biological samples, their blood and their urine, and to have access to all of their health records going back in time before they joined the study through the National Health Service records and forward in time as they develop disease in the long term. They're not getting any benefit from that. They're not getting feedback of any of their individual results. What they're doing is creating a resource that researchers from around the world can use to study many different diseases and understand the causes of those diseases and ways to prevent them and treat them. Now, 
it's a biobank. Does that mean that you keep the biological samples? I mean, at what point does it become digital? Because that's what we work with today. Yes. So obviously the questions we ask and the physical measurements we make are, are, are various uh, data points. What we're doing now is with the biological samples, the blood and the urine we, that we stored uh, in big automated uh, freezer facility, is pulling out those samples and turning the samples into data. So people will be familiar with the idea of measuring your blood cholesterol level or blood glucose level. So we've measured lots of biochemical measures like cholesterol and glucose, but we've gone on. We've now done genotyping of all half million people. Genotyping means measuring um, genetic variation across the whole of the genome. So you have about uh, 3 billion markers across your genome. Uh, and genotyping, you probably measure about a million of them. Uh, but because you inherit your genetic material in kind of lumps, if you measure a variant at one point, you can actually estimate what the variants are near to it. And that can allow you to look at associations with part of the genome with uh, diseases, but also with risk factors such as um, obesity or blood pressure or blood cholesterol. Now, is everyone in the UK, uh, are they served by the National Health Service? And and what are the demographics of, of the people that are part of this study? Everybody in the UK um, has access to the National Health Service and almost all of health care that's provided in the UK is through this public service. I mean, private health care is available but the vast majority of health, and particularly uh, serious health outcomes, uh, are picked up through the National Health Service and through the National Health Service record systems. So that allows us to follow all of the participants in UK through these record systems to find out whether they die and what they die of, to find out about cancers and what kind of cancer they have, and also all of their uh, hospitalizations for various conditions. And increasingly, we're able to link into their primary care uh, records, uh, which go into even greater detail about what investigations they've had, what drugs they get. And then one can go one step further because there are then many disease-specific uh, uh, data sets that we can look at, imaging for someone who's had a stroke, um, sequence data for someone who's had cancer, so that we can get very, very precise information about many different health outcomes and combine that with the very detailed information that we have about the participants and their lifestyles, their genetics, their environment, to really uh, hone down on what it is that causes a particular disease and how we might be able to prevent it. And what are the demographics? So the participants were aged 40 to 69 uh, when they joined the study from across England, Scotland, and Wales. Um, men and women, about 50% each. Uh, and then we located our recruitment centers in places that helped us to increase the diversity of the participants who joined the study. So people from urban and rural areas, people from different socioeconomic uh, strata, and also uh, to recruit people from ethnic minority groups um, in accordance with the proportion in the UK population. Um, so they are minorities, they're smaller numbers, uh, but still really quite large numbers of people from very different uh, backgrounds that we're able to study 
within the UK biobank cohort. I don't want people to get the idea that, well, that's it. That's what you do. You just keep collecting this data. There are many different biobank initiatives, and I see one that has a goal of 100,000 participants to have their brains, hearts, and abdomens, which I, I, I'm guessing are many of their vital organs, imaged with MRI scan. Tell us about that. So among the half million participants in UK Biobank, what we're doing is trying to get as much information about as many of them as possible. So we've done biochemical analyses, looking at things like cholesterol and blood glucose. We've done hematological assays, so looking at you, uh, people's hemoglobin levels, uh, looking at their, their white cells and their red cells and things like that. We've genotyped everybody, which means measuring about a million of the three billion markers across the genome. But we've then gone on to uh, analyze uh, the exomes within the genome. So this is the 2% or so of the genome that actually is um, directly producing proteins that then are relevant to the development of particular health conditions. And finally, we've done sequencing of the whole cohort. So all 3 billion markers across all half million people in UK Biobank have been measured um, with funding from the UK government, from charity, uh, and from industry. Why are we doing that? Because the more data we have, the more researchers can understand the causes of many different conditions, because all of this information about the participants is then linked to their health outcomes. And these data in UK Biobank are being made available to researchers around the world for any kind of research that's in the public interest. And there are now some 30,000 researchers using the data some 10,000 of whom are in the U.S. Now, you are in the midst of recruiting uh, the 100,000 participants to have their brains, hearts, and abdomens uh, scanned. Uh, and I understand you were the 60,000th participant. Now, tell us about what that was like. What did you go through? Well, we were very much aware that we had very detailed information from the questions to participants. And, of course, having... Uh, blood and urine samples, we can do very, very detailed uh, analyses of those samples, such as genetic analyses, analyses of proteins and things like that. But the physical measurements we made were, were relatively uh, crude. So how heavy are you? Um, uh, what's your height? Uh, so what we wanted to do for at least a large percentage of the UK Biobank cohort was to get very much more detailed information about people's measurements, if you like. So 100,000 of the participants are undergoing a special imaging protocol. They come back and spend five hours um, in one of our four UK Biobank imaging centers. They do the whole of the baseline assessment again, the questions, the physical measurements, the, the blood and urine collection. But then they spend time in magnetic resonance imaging of their brain for about half an hour, of their heart and their body for about half an hour. Uh, we use low-power X-ray to look at their bones and joints, um, and then carotid ultrasound, which allows us to look at uh, their arteries in their neck uh, to see whether there's evidence of flaring up of the arteries. So it's incredibly detailed physical characterization of the participants. And uh, I went through that uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, as a participant in UK Biobank, uh, and 
I was incredibly impressed by the team doing it. It was so well managed um, uh, and actually very interesting. The five hours just flashed by uh, during this process. But these data, these imaging data, like the biological samples, are also being turned into data points. So uh, the images are being provided to kind of engineers, um, digital scientists, uh, data scientists, and they turn the images uh, into data points in the same way that, say, a, um, a laboratory scientist turns the blood into data points. And then that data, thousands of measurements about the brain or about the heart, are made available to researchers to understand are there things that we measured back in 2006, 2010, when the participants joined, that predict differences in the brain or heart or body images? And also then, are those measurements in the brain and heart and body associated with subsequent disease? The body image is really interesting. So you can have somebody with the same body mass index, essentially the um, shape based on their height and weight, but have very, very different uh, magnetic resonance images of them, showing very different uh, fat distribution. It might be superficial under their skin, or it may be uh, associated with their body organs. Uh, and you can only pick that up with the magnetic resonance. And that's likely to be very differently associated with disease. It seems to me that this is unprecedented. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the biggest imaging studies in the past were a few thousand people. The idea of doing 100,000 people being imaged is, yeah, absolutely unprecedented. But so is half a million people being sequenced. You have to remember that 20 years ago, the first person was sequenced. Now we've sequenced half a million people. Uh, and all these data are being made available to researchers around the world. And they're making extraordinary discoveries because they have the combination of large scale exquisite detail. And now, of course, nearly 15 years of follow-up of people's health outcomes. So there are large numbers of individuals who've developed various conditions uh, so that one can really understand what's the cause of those conditions and therefore find ways in which to prevent and treat them. Now, I see that 30,000 researchers have actually accessed this data bank, this biobank, and uh, that they've done work with it. Who are these scientists and how do they get access? So they access de-identified data. So they don't know who anybody is in, in the study. And um, they, they have to show that they are a bona fide researcher and that their institution agrees to uh, comply with the rules of engagement, that, um, uh, to look after the data and to use it for health-related research in the public interest. The researchers then provided with access to these data to do their research. And really the only requirement um, in that respect is that they put their findings into the public domain. They publish them in medical journals uh, or they make them public in some other way so that they, they benefit medical science. And there've been some really interesting findings that have come out. I think increasingly what we'll see is new targets for treatments and the work with exome sequencing, which focuses on the part of the, uh, the genome that produces proteins, has already found um, some new targets uh, for, for conditions, for example, um, anti-obesity uh, treatments, which are now uh, starting to be developed. 
But I think uh, perhaps the most striking observation in my, my mind is the finding that if you combine dozens or hundreds of genetic variants across the whole genome, each of which has a small effect on disease, um, but if you combine many of them, then you can identify a few percent, maybe three to five percent of the population that have a risk of that particular condition equivalent to somebody with a single gene disorder, the kind of disorders like um, BRCA1 and BRCA2 that many listeners will be used to hearing about with respect to breast cancer. Now, that's about 10 times less common. So the idea that this genotyping, where you measure variants across the genome, can identify 10 times as many people with equivalent risk of breast cancer, but also identify uh, 10 times as many people with equivalent risk to heart disease as someone with so-called familial hypercholesterolemia. And it's been shown that um, you can identify people in the top few percent of about 16 conditions in about a quarter of the population. So that means that this very simple test, this genotyping test, which probably costs about $10, can identify a lot of people who are at high risk of different conditions. And you can imagine how that could get rolled out into healthcare systems. For example, uh, breast cancer screening is typically offered to women when they get to a certain age. Well, if we could find 5% who were at particularly high risk, one could offer breast cancer screening to them at a younger age. And the same would be true, say, colorectal cancer or pro prostate cancer screening. Um, and then from the cardiovascular perspective, I, I do cardiovascular uh, epidemiology and clinical trials, so I'm particularly interested in this. The idea that um, we give cholesterol-lowering therapy to people largely when they get to a particular age, um, uh, if you could identify 5% of people who are age 30 were at very high risk of heart disease, then again, you could offer them uh, protection against getting heart disease um, when they get older. The data are available to uh, researchers around the world um, on the basis of just the cost of processing their application to um, access the data and providing the data to them. Uh, we've now put all of the data onto a cloud-based uh, research analysis platform that's hosted in Britain by the Amazon Web Services. Uh, and um, that platform that has been developed for us by uh, an American company called DA Nexus allows researchers to go to the data rather than us having to provide data to them. And that really democratizes further access because the data are very big now. Um, and therefore, to, to have the data come to you means you have to have a big computer and lots of uh, analytic power on your computer. Whereas you can now come to our research analysis platform um, and have all the compute power you need for your project without having to invest in large computers. So it makes it even more uh, accessible to researchers around the world. And indeed, um, we have um, free compute from Amazon for researchers from low and middle income countries and for all early career researchers, again, to facilitate access uh, to the data. Well, I see that in 2021 alone, 
there were 1,700 publications in such journals as Nature, Science, and many others. So obviously there's a tremendous amount of output that goes right into the scientific community. Absolutely. Um, the success of UK Biobank uh, is down to the research community around the world using the data in extraordinarily imaginative ways. And what we're seeing is an increasing range of researchers from around the world uh, using the data. So one of the problems, of course, with health data is getting access to it. Well, for the first time, really, a very large, very detailed um, health research database is available to researchers. And what we're trying to do is encourage you know, really clever scientists out there perhaps not the ones who are most used to using health data, to come and use it. Um, we really want to see the people who do fantastically interesting things with astronomical data or physics data, uh, other data scientists who may be not used to working in the biological field, coming and solving major health problems by accessing these data. They're now readily available at scale and in depth, which is unprecedented. Well, I would imagine that once COVID appeared on the scene, that the UK Biobank sprung into action. What did you do? Well, one of the things we had to do, of course, was stop our imaging study um, because we couldn't invite uh, healthy individuals to come in to the imaging centers. So we thought, well, what are we going to do with all our imaging staff and with our imaging centers? And because we had already imaged 50,000 of the participants, we decided, with the support of the Medical Research Council and the Wellcome Trust, to swivel towards studying COVID. And so we invited back a 1,000 of the previously imaged participants who had been infected and a 1,000 of the previously imaged individuals who had not been infected, and we re-imaged them. So we created a unique data source where we have a thousand people with pre and post infection imaging and a thousand match controls. Uh, there is no such data available anywhere else in the world. And then we've made those data available to everybody. And the value of that is that you can look at the effect of infection on change because you have a pre infection measurement. Uh, and, and that uh, is being used in increasingly. We also made the data available. Um, to researchers all around the world to look at um, what were the determinants of a bad outcome with infection. Uh, and there were about 200 publications uh, on UK Biobank related to COVID, uh, identifying some of the, the major determinants of a bad outcome, some related to ethnicity, um, to body shape, um, uh, to other underlying conditions in those individuals. And again, by making those data readily available, rapidly identifying um, important uh, determinants of a bad outcome, and the imaging study helping us to identify what the infection does um, to people in terms of their brain function, uh, their heart function, uh, et cetera. So Dr. Collins, uh, where does the UK Biobank go from here? Are there plans? Absolutely. The next phase of UK Biobank will be about studying other aspects of these blood samples, the proteins, the metabolites, the changes that occur in response to exposures to your environment, to your, your genes themselves, so-called epigenetics. 
All of these things will help us to understand how it is that risk factors, be they genetic, lifestyle, or environment, lead to disease, to understand the pathways and the mechanisms, uh, and therefore really understand better how to prevent and treat those conditions. And I think that will be the next phase of UK Biobank. Uh, we'd like to bring back all of the UK Biobank participants so that we can get measurements in all of them, and therefore we can look at change in risk factors on disease. So there's plenty more to do to make UK Biobank uh, more valuable for, for researchers. Uh, and the great thing is that we have half a million really altruistic, really engaged participants that want to make this resource as good as possible uh, for the benefit of, of humanity. Well, Dr. Collins, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, uh, truly, I hope you will come back and see us again. I'd love to do so. Thank you very much, Maura. My guest today is Sir Rory Collins. Dr. Collins is the principal investigator of the UK Biobank. More information is available on the web at ukbiobank.ac.uk. For Tech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.